Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. If you have questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Brian Kelly's sitting on the edge of his chair. He can't wait to get home so he can harvest his big pumpkin. (laughs) He gave me a whole story on his big pumpkin. (laughs) These are volunteer pumpkins, homegrown. They grew out of the, uh, the compost pile. I don't know where they came from. I don't. I've never grown them before. They're aliens. They are, but heck, they're free, so they work, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Are you going to carve it? I might. Yeah. Oh, Thinking about that. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you. I'll, I'll bring a picture. Okay. I can't wait. <laughs> Every Saturday, we get together to discuss your yard, your landscape, your garden, your houseplants. Get those houseplants cleaned up and ready to go inside. Also, make sure, watch out for those fungus gnats because they're hiding in the potting mix. So you can get some um, all kinds of different things and just pour it on the surface of the soil. But do it a couple times every other day for a little while. And uh, that way you can kind of make sure that you're going to kill them all. Because they only live for about two or three days, but they're laying the females are laying eggs the whole time. So, anyway, soil improvement, pruning, bugs, diseases, planting, removals, and all other things as well. Speaking of planting, um, my, my pharmacist Audubon Dave used to be our pharmacist that we always went to. He's now retired, but Lisa is our pharmacist now. And every time I go in to pick up something at the uh, at the pharmacy, Walgreens at the uh, I'm not going to say where it actually is. Gravoy or Gravois, as the message always says in Holly Hills. But uh, she has always questions, or she doesn't all the time, but questions. So she had a pear tree taken down. Now she's got to move her hosta, and she asked me if she can still move her hosta. I said, told her yes, and this is what I gave her some advice on how to do it. And please remember, just like with Lisa, our pharmacist, it's a marathon out there. It's never going to be a sprint. And this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. Thanks to Greg. He's again producing. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've authored five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations. Revised Missouri Gardener's Guide. And that's pictures of plants and information about individual plant or varieties or hybrids or whatever. And the month-by-month gardening in Missouri, that's how to take care of those plants through the entire year. I write articles as well for the Missouri Gardener magazine. And during the week, I do landscape consulting. And during the weekend, too. Today, I'm headed to Olivet after the show. And uh, that's a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. And on the homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. And uh, then we can set up a time where I can come to your home. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Beeping pedestrian 
light countdown, sky barely enlightened. And to the east, the silhouette of the old courthouse and the arch was highlighted by a single star that was right under the edge of the arch. So it was really kind of cool. It was very breezy. The flags were flying. People were crisscrossing here, there, and everywhere. A few umbrellas as it drizzled, too. But they didn't have the umbrellas open. It wasn't really drizzling all that much. So um, where was I? Well, I was at 7th and Market. And as I stand there, a trio of blue spruce really looked great. Boxwood pruned to look like ottomans. I mean, wow. Whoever does it pruning at this, you know, this particular location is actually the base of the Peabody building. Uh, unbelievable pruning. Also, they've got a huge array of colorful mums, and the mums are in perfect, you know, mushroom shape, mushroom cap shape as well. So they really mimic the boxwood look, and <laughs> it was really kind of interesting and fun. And what these mums are now, they've replaced the summertime annuals, which have now been pulled out. There's a great smell of fresh mulch. So when they put the plants down, they freshened everything else, uh, everything <laughs> up. So that was very nice. And uh, there's a couple of variegated liriope, which were kind of on the ground underneath the blue spruce. Kind of looked like spiders, so it was perfect for this time of year. Spidery look. Ivy carpeting underneath five crab apples. This is a different bed space. Also, some daylily foliage says, I'm bigger and leggier than a lot of other spiders than those liriopes are. A series of containers are all mummied out. So, in other words, they're full of mums as well. Water feature, is it winterized? Because it used to run water through this kind of, I guess, spring-looking type thing. The gold thread branch cypress, as I said, uh, bright yellow foliage really was kind of moving nicely through the wind breezes. Knockout Roses said, we're still here. Japanese maples, maiden grasses, more boxwood, and uh, all these tr- those various plants underfill the birch trees that are there. And uh, this reminds me of uh, this is the time of year when you should consider starting to do your mulching. Across the street, that's across 8th Street, in the city park, a chorus of pumpkins sit on top of stone walls. I mean, very impressive to see all those pumpkins running along there. There's also some burning bush there that says, eh, I'm not colored up yet. I hope I get a chance to get some color. And uh, there's some more spruces. There's some Euonymus winter creeper as well. A small hill, berms up and downs and all around. The lawn there looks absolutely fantastic. It's not a big piece of lawn, but it kind of weaves in and out of a few of the bed spaces. As I drive away, the maple trees that are street trees right there wave and say, see you later. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, I will continue to say this, water, 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 water. The ground is still very dry. They keep predicting these rains. They never come, and it's still very dry. And dry soil is not a good way to go into wintertime, whether you put mulch down or anything else. It doesn't really matter. It does matter some. Yes, it does. But, you know, you get air pockets down in the soil when it gets dry, and that will dehydrate the root systems and cause many, many problems for plants of all types. Pat lives in Crestwood. Pat, how are you today? I'm doing fine, Mike. Just a quick question. I had my lawn aerated and overseeded with fescue three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. How much longer should I wait before I put my winterizer fertilizer down? 
Uh, you could probably, uh, do you know the numbers on your bag of winterizer fertilizer? I'd have to go look again. Oh, you don't need to. But I would probably wait. Uh, so how does the grass look? Does it look fine and everything? It's growing great. Great. So I would probably wait until the maybe Halloween, so oh, the end of the month. All right. Okay, that's it. That's all I needed. Thank you very Perfect. much. Perfect. Well, thanks. Pat got cut off, and she actually called back very quickly, and Greg got her back on top of the list because she was number one. Jan from West County, how are you today? Oh, good morning, Mike. I love your show, and I'm fine. Thank you. Great. Um, I have a bunch of questions, and I'll ask them quickly and let you answer them, please. Uh, I, for next year, would a, an angel wing begonia work in a hanging basket? A sphangum moss hanging basket. Uh, If you're very dedicated to watering a lot, yes. Uh But, uh, you know, the begonias are great because they have thick stems, thick leaves, and everything else. So they don't need quite as much watering. But, boy, oh, boy, those those baskets really dehydrate very quickly. So there's going to be days in the summertime where you're going to have to water maybe once or twice, or at least maybe twice a day, if not three times a day. Well, I have the regular wax begonias, and I've had good luck with those, and I've made the baskets myself with little oh. seedlings. But, uh, but I wanted to use these angel wing begonias and, uh, because I think they're such a spectacular plant. I and completely I agree. If they would be suitable. Yeah, they should be fine. Okay. Secondly, um, I want your information. Uh, I have a 40-year-old oak, pin oak tree, which unfortunately has died. I live in a subdivision, and next to my lot is next to a wooded, very densely wooded uh, common ground. And I would like to propose to the trustees who are loath to have plant material dumped in this common ground, which is very wild. There's nothing there, and it's just dense, and it's absolutely beautiful the way it is and very natural, and I would like to, when the tree is cut down, I would like it just to be dumped back in the common ground and allowed to naturally rot. Mm-hmm. Now, certainly I can, you know, have afford to have the tree trimmers uh, carted away, right. but it seems so unnecessary. Uh, that's the natural evolvement of things, and there are, in fact, there are a couple of trees straight back there that are dying in the common ground, and they will eventually fall, as what happens in nature. Uh, do you think that there would be any, um, could I, would, would I encounter disagreement from these trustees, or is that a, is that a uh, does that make sense to have that tree just dumped back there? Well, as long as it's close and everything else, sure. I mean, you're just going to add to the environment. They're probably going to have to cut the branches yes. off and all kinds of other yes. things. Yeah. But, uh, yes. yeah, I mean, you're just, you're sort of, like you said, duplicating what's actually happening in the common ground woodland area in and of itself. So there's nothing wrong with that. The only potential problem would be is if this particular pin oak, you know, had any kind of disease, insect, galls, all that type stuff, you may be exactly. introducing it, you know, problems that, uh, would be carted away if the tree was taken away. Okay, well, it does have that. It has some kind of a disease, and it has the galls as well. Right. And uh, so, well, maybe maybe it should be carted away, huh? Yeah, well, I mean, that gives you the option. The, you know, there's plenty of trees in the woods that have galls, oak trees, and everything else. So it's not something that's going to be like, oh, my goodness, this has never been ha- it's never happened before. But, you know, you have to kind of think about those factors as well. Where if, you now, know, the I've never tre- seen any uh, oak trees back in this common ground at all. There are right. no oak trees. Right. So, I mean, 
the sort of the options yours i they may oppose that because they don't want everybody starting to drag their debris back in there and start uh-huh. dumping it into the let's say the common ground woods right right okay and well when that tree is uh cut down and uh the sump removed how soon can it be before anything is planted there basically the root system if it's only been dead for this year basically yes. the root system can stay viable for uh, you know a couple more years so the root system is still going to be uptaking nutrients moisture and definitely fighting against anything that's young new that's been brought in from a nursery so you're gonna have you probably should wait for at least you know a couple years before you put something in other than okay. you know just kind of throwing grass seed out there if you want to. Don't expect it to do right. anything. I would just, right. you have a wooded environment, I would just leave it alone and let, you know, the the root system was going to implode on its own. So just l- allow it time to do that. Okay. And then two quick questions, and I know we've covered them before, but uh, tell me about how to get a cat- Christmas cactus to bloom again as well as an amaryllis. And the amaryllis has already been taken to the basement for about, three weeks already. Okay, so the amaryllis, you cut the foliage off and just leave it sit for a couple months and then bring it back out and start watering it, then it should flower. Christmas cactus, it's more or less, you know, it's kind of iffy. So just kind of leave it alone, let it go through a drought-stress circumstance inside, and then uh, in another, let's say, around mid to late November, start watering it again and see what happens. But there's with those, it's kind of iffy. There's not, It's not like the poinsettia and it's not like the amaryllis that you're going to get, you know, always going to have flowers on the Christmas cactus. Okay. Many, many thanks, Mike. All right, great. Well, As good I said, luck. I love your show. Well, thank you, thank and you. thanks for having me on your show. And, yeah, pulling, you know, dumping debris into common grounds, that, that just, you know, the only my concern would be that, you know, more and more people do <laughs> may start doing it, and it could just create uh, somewhat of a nightmare. Dennis in South City. Hi, Dennis. How are you? Hi, Mike. Listen, um, uh, mums, I have them in the carton that I bought them in. Mm -hmm. Can I plant them when all the flowers die, or when's the best time to plant it, and can I plant it in the shade, or does it have to have sun? they got to have full sun if you really want them to do well. I mean, they'll survive in the shade, but they'll be very spindly. And the, th- the way that you can tell if the mums that you have now, when they finish flowering, if they have any kind of potential of surviving, in, you know, when you plant them in their garden space or something like that, is look at the base of the stems where they're coming out of the potting mix and see if there's any small little leaflets there. If there is small leaflets there, then you've got a, let's say, 50-50 chance of you planting them, them coming back next year. But if they don't have any kind of little small leaflets you know, at the base of the stems, then the chances of them surviving and coming back next year is minimal at best. And when is the best time to plant it then? Well, it's still in full bloom now, or can I wait? It's a, you know again it doesn't you know it doesn't really matter all that much. I would get it in if you got the location ready, if you got the soil prepared and everything else, full sun, all that other stuff. And you know it's if you want if you like them and they're sitting on your front porch or wherever they happen to be sitting, it's not going to make that much difference because we're only talking about a few let's say maybe five or seven or ten or fifteen days difference if you put them in the ground now or if you put them in the ground when they finish flowering. But when they finish flowering, definitely cut off the fol- you know, all the flowers, leave some of the foliage until the frost finally kills it, 
and then just, um, you know, it's going to be luck from that point. If you really want to have mums and you want to grow them, get them in the early spring and then grow them in the location where you want them. You're going to have to pinch them back. You're going to have to fertilize them and everything else. But if you don't have luck with just buying them sort of already growing in pots, you know, and expecting them to come back as a perennial, then, uh, I mean, it's just kind of iffy unless you grow them yourself, and it takes a lot of work to get them to the bloom stage. Okay, thank you. Sure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Tonight, the Blues get their first look on the road at the newest team in the NHL, the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Pre-game show starts at 9 p.m., face-off at 9.30, right here on your home for everything blues, KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. I've been cutting my lawn, and people drive by and say, what are you cutting your lawn for? I have zoysia, but I do have some, let's say, weedy grass in the zoysia until I finally get it all removed. But uh, I tell them I'm cutting my grass not necessarily because my zoysia needs to be cut because it's pretty much slowing down, it's turning brown, because I have lots of leaves starting to build up in the yard. And rather than letting them all fall and collect, it's just much easier for me to go ahead with my mulching mower and uh, just chop them up every, you know, every week or so. So that's what I tell people when they stop by and say, why are you cutting your grass? It's not even growing. So that's my answer. John lives in Chesterfield. John, how are you today? Pretty good. How are you doing? Very good. Hey, I got two questions. Um, I got some Hugo pines that like border my driveway and uh, sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And one of them, the biggest one, which was sort of getting in the way anyway, uh, about a third of the stems, all the needles were turning brown. I was planning on getting rid of it, but when it started turning brown, it said, okay, it's time. <laughs> so I got the loppers out, cut them down to the ground. But when I was lopping through the thickest stems, it felt like it was still alive. And I looked at it, it looked like then there was still like some sap there. Right. Is there any chance that's going to grow back? Uh, probably not, to be honest. But yeah, the interior needles on conifers, they always turn brown this time of year. So, you know, Muyuga pine being a conifer, that's something. And even with the broadleaf evergreens, too, like the hollies and things like that, they all start sloughing off needles or leaves as, you know, sort of fall hits and winter approaches. Because those are in the interior. They don't help the overall health. And that's just a natural growing process. So the thing was probably still alive. No, it was at the, all the way to the end of each stem. Oh, so if it was brown all the way to the end, then, you know, it was probably dying or dead, but you're still going to have active sap in there, even though if the, all the needles are brown. So that would probably take maybe a year or so before, oh. you know, all the sap would, let's say, stop be- existing. So it, I, it's, it's, I shouldn't just wait till next spring to dig the roots out and put something else in? No, you can dig it up now. You yeah, know, well, but, I'm just getting at it, so I thought maybe it might grow back. <laughs> Wishful thinking. <laughs> okay. Next, one other thing. Um, your first caller was talking about the uh, winterizing, winterizing fertilizer. Right. Um, I did a soil test on my lawn a couple of weeks ago. It's got plenty of uh, phosphorus and potassium. Right. pH is 7, but it had practically no nitrogen show up. And I've got this fertilizer I use from a place at the Lake of the Ozark that has real high pH. It's it's ammonium sulfate. So it's just 21% nitrogen and 24% sulfur. 
Can I use that air on my bond here to put the, the nitrogen back without screwing anything up? Yeah, but I will tell you, the nitrogen, nitrogen when you put it on your, you know, let's say anything, put it on the ground, it stays there in the ground, you know, for only a few days. Then it becomes a gas and goes back up into the oh. air. That's why okay. a soil test generally, unless you take a, so, a soil sample right after you put the fertilizer down, is always going to indicate there's virtually no nitrogen in your soil. Because oh. the plants suck it up very quickly, and then it's gone. And then it comes back down when there's lightning storms. That's why after lightning storms, the uh-huh. plant material will be kind of glossy and green, you know, greener or whatever. It's strictly because the nitrogen's in the air, and whatever reaction from lightning causes the nitrogen to come yeah. back down. Oh, so it doesn't—the it, fact that it shows practically no nitrogen is not unusual? No, yep. it isn't. It's typical. Now, oh. you know, if this is a lawn area, your pH is a little bit high, so you want yeah. to, but, uh, you know, just watch out from that factor because everybody always thinks you've got to have a high pH for a good lawn. Lawn really likes a pH of about, you know, slightly below what yours is, 6.9, down to about 6.1 or something in that range. So it likes, you know, more acidic soil than it likes an alkaline soil. Okay. So, yay or nay about putting down the the nitrogen for as a winterizer? Uh, what kind of you have fescue or bluegrass? Uh, um, no, it's um, neither. <laughs> <laughs> fescue, so, fescue, fescue. Oh, I was going to say. So you have a weedy yard. Yeah, go ahead. The weeds will love it. No, it's kind of late <laughs> to be putting that much nitrogen down. But uh, you know, with the way our weather's been, who knows what it's going to be like? If you get it down, you know, ASAP, you could go ahead and do it. But beyond that, I would say you're getting a little bit late to be putting that much nitrogen down because usually winterizers, the nitrogen number is going to be fairly low. But you don't need, you know, phosphorus and potassium because your soil test indicated you already have adequate or above, you know, normal amounts, whatever it happens to be. So it may be just the, you know, go ahead and do that. And some people will put urea down, which is very high in nitrogen. 45%. Yeah, exactly. And because it's only there for a few days and then it goes up into the air. So if you get it down, do it kind of quickly, let the, you know, the lawn absorb as much as possible and then just kind of go from there. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yep. Good luck with that. And now let's go from Chesterfield to South County into Kurt's yard. Hi, Kurt. Hey, Mike. Um, I've got a question in regards to a dogwood. Um, I had a dogwood planted about three years ago, and um, it's probably about eight feet tall now. Well, naturally, there was a uh, a red maple that was right next to it and protected <laughs> it uh, from the sun. Well, we had to take that tree down, and then this year what happened was the dogwood got stressed, and um, all the leaves turned to brown. My question is, is do I try and work with this dogwood, or do I just uh, bite the bullet, remove it, and put another tree in its place? Basically, uh, dogwoods do not have to be in the shade. They can grow in the full sun very easily. So if that's, you know, the maple coming down, you know, didn't really have that much impact on the foliage of your dogwood. Probably the weather had more of an impact than anything else, would be my guess. Now, the only thing I can say was when it was planted, um, it, it always seemed to have some issues with, uh, with not being a good, healthy tree, in oh. my opinion. Yeah. Um, so, again, I just, uh, when do, 
do I just uh, just monitor it, I guess, for the next year or two and or just uh, see what happens uh, or, or what? It all depends on how patient you are. If it does not leaf out by next spring, it's dead. It's gone. Okay. Okay. So, and you can also, has it historically, has it flowered? Yes. Okay. Yes. So you can go out right now and just look at the tips of the branches to see if there's any flower buds set there. If there's no flower buds at all, just go ahead. Well, you might not have any flowers for next year because the flower buds would be already set if it's going to flower next spring. But just leave it alone, leave it sit, and then wait until next spring. And if it does not push foliage out, you know, regardless of if flowers or not, then it's, like I said, it's just dead. Yeah. And then one more question. Uh, I wanted to put another uh, tree in my yard uh, with full sun. Um, I want to go with the same size as a dogwood. Uh, I, I don't want to put anything large because of my sewer. Um, do you have any suggestions of, uh, like, a pretty flowering tree that uh, is a medium size? Well, there's all kinds of varieties of crab apples that you could look at. There's also a plant which is native to the woodland areas here called service berry. Either one of those is service berry. Flowers actually historically before the dogwood does. Has white flowers, not as large or spectacular, but it does produce you know, red berries on it, which that's why they call it service berry. And then also it will give you great fall color too. So those, okay. you know, and like I said, there are so many different varieties of crab apples. Just make sure you don't get some, you know, you do some research on if somebody's selling crab apples, you know, ask them, is this an old time variety? Because a lot of the old time varieties are very prone to, let's say, foliar diseases like uh, apple scab and, and cedar apple rust and all that other stuff. So the newer varieties have been hybridized to avoid that. So either one of those two. Now, if you wanted another dogwood, uh, try the Kusa, K-O-U-S-A, Kusa dogwood, which is from the Orient. And they flower after the, the, our, you know, our classic dogwood flowering time. And the petals are a little bit, they're about the same size, but they're pointed rather than rounded. Okay, awesome. Thanks, Mike. I yep, appreciate it. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. As I've said it a couple times, um, I ordered my bulbs, as I have for the last several years. That's tulips and daffodils and all that kind of stuff uh, from uh, Brightside St. Louis. And they were delivered probably two weeks ago, maybe a little bit more. I can't remember exactly when they are. But... Uh, I have all these pots, and that's where I plant my bulbs. I don't put too many in the ground anymore because I have plenty in the ground. I only have so much limited space that I want to dedicate to spring flowering bulbs. But I had to transition my pots from things that had tropical, you know, houseplant-type things, you know, to the ones that are where I'm going to plant the bulbs. I haven't planted the bulbs yet, but I've started to move those plants that have the tropicals or houseplants out of the way so I can bring in the pots where I'm going to fill them up with the potting mixes and, you know, plant my bulbs. I'll probably do my bulb planting maybe uh, mid to late, probably around yeah, towards the end of this month, maybe early November. So that's I have the tulips and daffodils both. So looking forward to doing that. It's always great fun. But I did. I was digging through the garage. I thought, hmm, what's in these window boxes? Then I remember, oh, 
This is where I have my grape hyacinths. <laughs> I usually pull them out of the pot historically, but this year I decided, ah, you know, when they finish blooming in the springtime, I'll just stick them in the garage and see what happens. So I've pulled them back out. I've watered them, and I'm going to see. Because grape hyacinths is one of the minor bulbs. It's a small bulb. It's not the classic big hyacinth like the one that the city of New Orleans is known for. But it's a small one, but it does produce foliage in the fall. So I'll see how soon that will happen. Headed over to Illinois for the first time today, I think, into Gail's yard, and she lives in Collinsville. Hi, Gail. Hi, Mike. I uh, have a kind of a question and a comment. Um, a few weeks back, we had put some uh, five cubic yards of compost out over our entire yard. Mm-hmm. And after less than a week, we had something out there, like peeling the grass off the surface, flipping it over. It was on all sides of the house, front, back, and both sides. And um, I looked up on the Internet, and it sounded like there was either skunks or raccoons. Right. And um, we have had families of raccoons in our backyard because we back onto a ravine with about 300 feet, I guess, of uh, woods. And we have never, ever had this issue. We've been here almost 25 years but we've never put compost out before. So was the compost attracting them somehow? No. Compost had nothing to do with that. Just probably they were desperate because of the way the weather's been this year. And so they decided, well, this is an opportunity. Now, you may have grubs in your lawn, and there's only there's five different kinds of grubs. And if you don't have bluegrass, then you're not going to have any damage from the grubs. But that's basically what they're rutting for is grubs. So the grubs are up near the surface. So just by chance this year and, you know, the raccoons are getting a little bit, I don't want to say more aggressive or whatever, but this is the time of year when they do. I live right in the city, in the heart of South City, and I stepped out my door the other morning. I usually take my walk fairly early, and there was a raccoon sort of staring at me. I said, what are you doing here? And they said, well, you know, I came up from the, you know, down by in the park, and I thought I'd see if there's anything in your yard to eat. I've seen them in dumpsters and everything else, but no, the compost had nothing to do with your raccoons. Even though the neighbors on both sides and across the street and around the corner, nobody has anything like this. Basically, they come to yards because they can sense it, yards where they can actually find something to eat. They just don't randomly go around and say, well, let's try here, 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 here. So there, there's ways for them to feel that, you know, this is a good yard. You've taken well, good care of your yard, like you said, for 25 years. And so we're desperate. We can't afford, you know, energy-wise just to be going around just digging and hopefully coming up with something. I see. Okay. So you're, you're positive the compost had no... No issue with that. I would, you know, raccoons don't care about compost. I've never seen them get into compost piles. Let's put it that way. Hmm. Because I had read on there, it depends on what the compost has in it. If it's from, you know, got meat products or vegetable products. Well, in theory, compost, if it's done correctly, never has meat products in it. It's all green stuff. Okay, because we bought it from the St. Louis Compost Company. Yeah, they, I mean, they test everything, so I would say it has nothing to do with the compost. Okay. Well, thank you, Mike. Sure. And now let's go to Susan in Creve Corps. Hi, Susan. Hi. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I have two things that I think need pruning. One of them is a hydrangea that's um, it's just big and 
wispy and overgrown. And the other one is a, I'm not sure if it's an azalea or a rhododendron. The leaves on it are small, but I've noticed shoots of out, shoots that have grown out that are just wacky. And it all needs to be pruned. Is now a good, I mean, do I prune both of them and is now a good time? It's a little bit early, especially for a broadleaf like the azalea slash rhododendron, whatever this happens to be. But realize that those anything that you cut off potentially has the flower bud for next year. So with spring blooming things like azaleas or rhododendrons, you're better off to wait until after they flower, then prune it at that time. Now with your hydrangeas, do you know what when does that normally flower? It flowers fairly late. It's not an early flowering. It's more Midsummer. Okay, so then you you can cut back the hydrangea virtually from this point. I would uh, from this point all the way up until the new growth starts emerging, meaning leaf growth in the springtime. So you got a couple months. Okay, so between now and the end of the year. Yeah, or beyond that, you can even do it in the middle. I mean, you could do it a Valentine's Day if you wanted to. Okay, I and I forgot one uh, crepe myrtle. And crepe myrtle, because it flowers in the summertime, it's the same with the hydrangea. You can cut them back. You can cut them down. You can do whatever you want to. From this point forward, it's probably finished flowering. So then consequently, you can cut it if you want. Or if you don't feel like cutting it today or within the next couple of weeks, you still got plenty of time to do it. Now, is that something I can? I just want to cut back a little bit in shape? Or can I? do I cut that? Way, way back. You, it's up to you. I mean, some people like to cut theirs all the way back. Sometimes if you don't cut it back, a lot of times what can happen is if we have a severe winter, the crepe myrtle can be killed all the way to the ground. Then it will reemerge from the root systems. So it's kind of a personal call more so than anything else. If you only cut it back a thir- you know, and shape it up, and again, we have a hard winter, then you're probably going to have some kill beyond where you had actually done the pruning. Okay. And I can do that later, too. Yeah. I mean, there's no hurry. Okay. Terrific. Uh, Thank you very much for your help. Sure. And let's go to Mike and Arnold. Mike, how are you? Good morning. Hi. I have been mowing my lawn once a week, and <clears throat> the last time I mowed it, which was just a couple of days ago, I observed in an area that was about, oh, 20 foot by 80 foot in, in my backyard, Hundreds of little holes. They were about three quarters of an inch to one inch in diameter, and as far as the depth, use anywhere from a half an inch to an inch in deep. I dug around in some of the holes. I didn't find anything like an acorn or anything like that. I wonder if you've heard anything like this. Not that you know, not that many, not that intense. But probably what it was is you know, it could be an emerging. Was there little piles of like mud by, by these holes? No. No, so there was, I was going to say it could be worm castings, but it's not that. So there's, you know, some kind of beetle or something, grub, whatever, you know, has come up out of the soil and emerged, you know, f- to get itself ready for wintertime. Okay, so there's no problem as far as putting insecticides or anything on them? No, I, if you couldn't find anything, I wouldn't waste my money, you know, putting down an insecticide. Okay, well, thank you very much. Yep. Good luck with that. And Bob and Baldwin, can you do it rather quickly? Real quick, yes. I'm a little confused about the winterizer. I'm not a big nitrogen person, but you look at Scott's or whatever it is, and the first number of nitrogen is 32%. Right. And I, where do you buy something? Uh, you know, I, I don't see putting that down anytime, let alone 
First of all, do you recommend a, a winterizer? And secondly, all I can find is stuff that the uh, first number of the nitrogen is 32%. Yeah, I mean, you could put the nitrogen down. Again, if you're listening earlier, it only stays in the ground for a couple days and then right. goes up into the air. So the plants are going to grab as much as they can, as much as they need. It's not going to do that much. And you can use fertilizer that's not necessarily, let's say, for lawn on your on your lawn. So you could get something like a 5 10 10 you know, whether it's for garden space or anything else, and just put that down on your lawn. Okay. How about uh, malarganite? Is that too short-lived for for a winterizer? Well, it's, uh, for the most, you could put that down. I mean, a lot of people are very loyal to malarganite. And, uh, you know, for years, uh, you know, I've talked about the product. It's it's nutrient level is fairly low. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if you wanted to do that, you could do that. I always like to alternate things. I don't like to stay consistent with anything. So one year I'll do something. Next year I'll use a different product. Next year a different product. Right, but you don't recommend the high... 32%. 32%. Every, every product, you don't recommend putting that down then? Well, for, you can do it. I mean, it doesn't. I don't do it personally because I have Zoiza, so I don't want to winterize, right. you know. But, uh, I mean, it works fine. So thanks, Bob, and uh, you should be fine with it, whatever you choose to do. And, uh, well, that's the end of the first hour. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will be back after Brian does the news. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.